Welcome to another episode of the Emulsion Podcast, a show for chefs who want to think better, increase their performance, and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have learned. I am your host, Justin Kana, and I'd love to continue the conversation with you from this episode on my online circle community. There you can share your two cents and learn about supporting the show on justinkana.com slash support. For your convenience, it's also linked up in the description of your podcast player. Let's get into the show. What is up, folks? Welcome back to the Emulsion Podcast. My name is Justin. This interview was a special one because Alex Anu, aka Alex French Guy Cooking, is on the podcast today. He's a guest that I've always wanted to have on the show, and I had the opportunity to ask him questions that I've always wanted to ask him. So we talked a lot about creativity, dealing with feedback, being a creator on the platform that is YouTube, and a bunch of the the ways that he approaches how he does what he does so well as such a creative force on the platform, and especially especially in food. If this is your first time hearing about Alex, you can, of course, check out any of his channels, his books, his podcast, Food But We Digress, on any of the platforms that they're listed on down low in the description. Please do give Alex a follow if you aren't already, because he's absolutely one of my biggest inspirations on YouTube. That's it for me. Please do enjoy the conversation. Well, Alex, thanks so much for being on the show. It's really, really an honor to talk to you today. Uh, Thank you, man. I know you aren't supposed to do this in podcasts, but I'm going to start with a selfish question because I've always wanted to ask you this, and I would sincerely love your advice if you have any advice. I often look at food as this endless, endless void of information and culture and memories and science. Does it ever intimidate you how much there is to learn in food and do with food? Hmm. First of all, I think I agree with you, first of all. I, th- I think, yeah, there's a vast amount of knowledge, an endless pit for every little detail in food. But I feel like it's it's not intimidating to me. Not that, not that I am overconfident or anything. It's more like I'm, I've always been very curious. So whenever I know that there's a world behind a detail, I just feel more happy. I just feel happier inside. Whenever I'm dealing with that type of food, let's say... I don't know what I've been working like like sauces, for example. Sauce could be as disappointing and deceiving as just, I mean, ketchup can be good, but still ketchup. And and then you pull on that thread and you discover a whole world of possible condiment, more or less. I'm happy when I discover that. So I guess my curiousness, my curiosity, you know, overtake my... my, um, apprehension my 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 being scared of a new topic do you find that that's like a more sustainable way to create because i have this dish of the day show that i had maybe four or five years ago and i want to bring that back and i obviously have like the gear videos and this podcast but it's so hard to decide for me on what to work on next and and you with you with these series that you've been really diving into I feel like it allows you to potentially be more present in your content because you're just focused on a certain type of dish or a certain type of cuisine. Does that help mm-hmm. you when, like, in in the chapter of you creating different types of content and being on the platform for a long time? Like, does that help to to have that focus more? I, I think so. I've always found that having a frame helps being more creative. People think that you you establish barriers. You establish limits and all of a sudden you can't create no more. Usually it's pretty much the opposite. Barriers are just very helpful when it comes to thinking outside of the box. How can a new think outside of the box if there's no box? 
That's so right. series helped me focus a bit more and, you know, channel my creativity. There are ups and downs with series, I would say. I'm allowed to do series because I've been doing this for 10 years. And I've established something that kind of works, you know, both from a creative but also from a financial point of view. So now I'm able to be shush from a few, for a few months and then come back with another series. I can do that. But in the past, I couldn't do that. I just had to post, you know, every week. And I was, I was fine with it. But I guess as time goes by, I guess I'm, I'm more able to, to, take, to, to make my own decisions and to, you know, take responsibilities for them. So when, yes and no. Sorry. So, I mean, if you don't mind, if you don't mind going into a little bit of like, you mentioned that it makes it more sustainable for your creativity, but also financially, does that mean that you just partner with a fewer number of sponsors or you end up having additional content that you, you give to your community and then, and then. I guess for because there's a lot of chefs that are listening to the show right now who are like, I want to create content in addition to the food that I'm making. But yeah. If, if, if I were to be a chef and, and I wanted to create some content on YouTube, I would, I would not dive into a series. Yeah. Yeah. Cause because it's, 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 it's more, more than a full-time job for me to create series. There's I could no never ever do this on as a side job. It's impossible. I mean, I, I, I do work, the best I can, and the, the you know, you know, I, I try I try to work as much as I can. But like writing this series, meeting the folks that I want to make, uh, that I want to meet, and also just exploring different tracks, different possibilities, and failing quite often during these takes a heck load of time and energy. So I'm 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 thinking if I were to be a chef, I would just make content based on what I do in the restaurant. I would find a cheat, find a hack something that differentiates me from the rest. And I would use that to create content on the fly. Use a GoPro or an iPhone. I would use an iPhone if I were to be a chef. Because these guys, they must have no time for this. Every time I get to that place where I get really overwhelmed with there's so much to possibly dive into and I don't know what to work on next, I almost go the other way sometimes and I get really comforted with the fact that like, we can go an entire career and never be done. It will never be mm-hmm. over. We will always have a job if this is what we're interested in because there's always something new to learn and always more threads, a little bit to your point, to pull on. And so do you find mm-hmm. comfort in that as well or is that is it more intimidating than comforting? Yes. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think it's comforting. I, I think I, I, I agree with you on that point. It's, it's reassuring to know that there are so many threads surrounding us. You you could be as as you just said pulling on any of these, and maybe you could unlock, you know, unveil a new a new pit of knowledge. Uh, like I'm working on a new series at the moment, and the series is going to be based around pasta. I won't go too specific on this, but uh, I picked one tiny little details in the, in the world of pasta. And at first I thought ah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard to, to turn it into a series. This is something that, you know, deeply intri- intricately interests me. But am I going to be able to make it a series? Well, <laughs> I turn it into a series for sure. And I've got way too many episodes already. So I'm, I'm thinking it's always a matter of, you know, the lens through which you're looking at things. 
you could you could go macro you could go wider you could go you could have like a normal point of view on it i i i think it's i think it's reassuring that all these subjects could be turned into possible content not not only series by the way i think we agree on this as well but correct me if i'm wrong to me proving myths wrong is incredibly satisfying in food and I'm going to read a few that I grew up with as I was going to culinary school and in restaurants. Never trust a skinny chef. Some of the most talented mm-hmm. chefs I worked with are super fit and like really, really good at movement and coordinating in the kitchen. So that was like, oh, that's wrong. And then I had another one where um, modernist cuisine came to my school and they did a whole presentation debunking the start your chicken stock in cold water myth. So, so okay. in your life of creating content and learning about food do you have any favorite myth bustings or learnings whether it's technique or mindset wise that you've really taken away from your work in food favorites of yours i i tend not to follow uh, either traditions or cliches if i haven't tried them myself i would be lying if i if i were not to say that one of my biggest source of reliable information is serious eats Serious Eats plus Modernist Cuisine plus maybe, um, what, what, what's it called? Uh, an Engineer's Cookbook. Uh-huh. I don't know. These guys, they've been just, you know, consistently trying and experimenting like the, the scientific way. And I like this very unbiased approach. They say, they say it should be done this way. Well, I've been trying all the possible ways. And it turns out you don't have to. So... I can't I can't think of something super um, super explicit right now, but if I do, I'll I'll just bring it up. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, maybe another way to to phrase it is that you thought there was one way to do it, but then you saw somebody else do it, and you're like, well, no, duh. There, there, there's I mean, for, for one of my examples yeah. is uh, I I went to when I wor- I was working in Norway for a little while, and my sous chef at the time he was working at he had worked at Le Serre, uh in Paris, oh. and and he saw me making a hollandaise sauce for the menu in a double boiler and we had induction burners at the, at the restaurant and and he came over and he was like why are you doing a double boiler you can just put everything into a pot and put it on the stove and and just make it in the pot oh. on because we had these special shaped induction yes. pots and it was it was just <laughs> he was like you you save yourself the dishes and it's less steps and and all that stuff the same another one is um Christina Tosi has in the milk bar book that mm-hmm. if you're making a, a like an anglaise or a custard sauce, you don't have to temper everything. You can just put everything into the pot and just <laughs> do it together. And it was, it was like, oh, well, no, duh. And, and it's like part laziness and part like technique. Like you want the tech. The technique is good, but like why add extra steps if you don't have to? And so those yeah. are Did some you, of my favorites. Uh, I, w- I would never qualify this as laziness. Uh, it, uh, it only appears to me as cleverness. That's just right. being clever. Just why would you add a... Like, the fact that you mentioned Hollandaise is is an easy for me because I've been working on Hollandaise in the Correct. sauce series and yeah the the, the basic but that, that's that's definitely not coming from me but that's something I've adopted immediately when I saw it like how to make Hollandaise in a blender just that's it you just if I remember correctly you just start with the egg first and then you pour in boiling hot butter on it, it just works every time and I mean. To my appreciation, it's even better than the one I make in a double boiler because I feel like it's lighter. 
maybe introducing a bit of air inside of it makes it, you know, more flavorful. Obviously, that's subjective, but still, more air means more flavor usually. So this is something that there's no there's no going back once you do that. Why would I why would I make my my life you know harder than what it is already? Because it truly shows that you understand the technique at that point. Because it's not the fact that the clarified butter and the egg yolks are sitting on top of two sets of pans that makes a hollandaise, right? It's like the mm -hmm. temperature control and the amount of fat that you're adding and the, you know, like aggressiveness at which you're incorporating yeah. the emulsion. It's like all of that is actually what's important. And so if you hmm. can do that in a blender, like that shows you actually understand the technique. I think that's interesting. You know you know, these guys, I got two examples coming up, say, mm. oh, it's, it's starting to bubble. So uh, the, the guy from Modernist Cuisine, I had the chance to have Nathan Mirford in my studio. He, wow. came, he came to my studio at some when point. When was this? When was this? It was like, um, I think it's in the Sauce series. I think it's in the, the episode where I mentioned, um, you know, that, that thick, not the thickening agent. I can't remember the name of that stuff. It's not agar, agar. It's another Zentum one. Xanthan gum. Xanthan gum, yes. exactly. Yes. That's that's because uh, in in a in a sauce episode I was trying to thicken a sauce and I did try a few thickeners and I thought I could try a xanthan gum just to see how it would work. It's not bad. It has you know challenges to it, but I mean used very uh, reasonably. It's not bad. And the guy was in, and I took the opportunity. He was in for, he was in Paris and I jumped on the opportunity to meet the guy, and he gave me a few advices on on how to use Zantam gum and how it works on a molecular level, as you would expect from the guy who just wrote Modernist Cuisine. <laughs> but uh, then we, we, we had a long chat about emulsions and one of the dishes that I, I mean, he, that, that's where he, he brought up that he tends to decant the wine using a blender. Right. Because uh, he told me, you, you're just trying to incorporate more air. And I was like, yes. Why don't you blend it? You're going to incorporate tons of air. And I was like, because I can't do that. Because that would be blasphemy for me to do this. He said, well, I don't think you would see that as blasphemy. And I say, yeah, you're right. I think I'm going to blend my next wine. And I did. It does work. I still can't do this for friends and families because they, they click. They don't, they don't appreciate that. They don't, they don't like it. So, I mean, food, that, that's where I, I think... Uh, I would definitely uh, dif differ from from these guys who are, ex I mean, so knowledgeable when it comes to food and chemistry and molecular. But there's, there's always a cultural aspect to it. So I know this is the correct method, but I don't want to offend anybody. So I'm just I'm just cool for myself. I would do it 100%. Um, comes to my mind another another example of something I've been doing differently, and that was during a, a Cacio Pepe episode. So cacio e pepe, that ro Roman dish that you 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 know uh, mm. very well. Uh, so just cheese, pepper, and pasta. You turn that into an amazing, silky, cheesy, creamy dish where the cheese is nicely incorporated. Nothing goes into lumps. Nothing goes stringy. It's just like a, a creamy dish made possible by the, by the pasta water, the starch in pasta water, more or less. And so I had a chat with the uh, Italian folks. And they told me in Italian restaurant, they would use cornstarch to make it more stable. Really? And I thought, how can you do that? I thought it would be just like, like uh, absolutely forbidden. And they told me, well, this makes our life easier. Also, nobody can taste it. It's just a fraction. So just make the whole emulsion more stable. 
makes your life easier. I'm no, I'm no restaurant chef, so I don't need, you know, to put out consistent meals, consistent dishes every day, all day, lunch, dinner, but they have to. And they told me, well, it helps with consistency a lot. And it's not affecting flavor. And also, I guess the fact that they're being Italian helps, you know, legitimate that trick. So I think it was fun. It was just like eye-opening for me. I'm thinking, Italian, do it. Who am I to say no to that that cheat? And if, I don't know, you're, you're right. Because xanthan gum can make things taste like snot or feel like snot. Yes. Like it, it's, it's, yes. re, it's really like unpleasant when you overdo it. But there's a bunch of tricks like have you used Ultratex before? Ultratex is like a chef's favorite. Like if you're making like a, a beet puree or a carrot puree, you add a little bit of Ultratex to it and it's going to be shiny and really, really smooth and mm. have a little bit more volume if you're blending it in a blender. And I don't know. Like I, I, I think that there's this, uh, there was this thing where people started to look at the back of the ingredient box and anything that they couldn't pronounce or they didn't grow up eating, they're like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. But like agar agar is made from seaweed. <laughs> you know, like it's not going to kill you. <laughs> And and, 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 like, and like salt. I wouldn't know how to pronounce this in English, but in French, it's chlorure de sodium. Yeah, sodium chloride, yep. <laughs> sodium chloride. So if you say sodium chloride to somebody, they would freak out. It's fucking salt. One thing that was funny in the uh, ketchup pepper, I'm, I'm bringing that up because I think uh, it also showcases sometimes how I tackle, you know, new subject. I was, so the whole, the whole content is, started in two episodes. First one, I'm trying to replicate Italian tradition in making cacio pepe. And second one, I'm just drifting away from the tradition and finding an, an easier way for me to do it. And within the first one, or was it within the second one? Anyways, at, at, at some point, you know, you make the cream, you cook the pasta, blah, 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 and you have to use pepper because the dish is basically cacio e pepe, so cheese and pepper. And the, the, the thing that struck me making that episode, writing that episode, was like all the Italian cookbooks I've read, they just say use freshly cracked pepper. And I was, think, I was thinking of all my Indian friends. They, they would not do that. They would first always toast the spices. Right. Because you want to you, you wake up those spices. And I thought, this is an easy fix. This is nothing for me. I, I'm bringing nothing. Ita Indian chefs are bringing that because they all know how to handle spice. So, so I called a friend and she told me, of course, you should, you should always toast pepper if you can. It's going to taste so much better. And she also pointed out that what pepper are you referring to? Is it, is it like so South Indian Malabar or is it any other one? Is it one from Vietnam? And I was like, of course, of course. Then I should try and pair the right pepper with pecorino then. And and the fun fact is that Italian chef actually reviewed my videos on YouTube. And they were watching me, you know, playing with their traditions, playing with their cacio e pepe. And they were mostly okay with what I did. They were pretty, pretty nice with me. And then when they saw the pepper, they were like, huh, of course, it comes from Indian. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a classic trick from, from any cook you, 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 you would meet in India. Makes sense. And I was like, mm, I knew it. Got him. <laughs> Got it. Uh, I, I did, did a few mistakes on the side, which, you know, did compensate for that. I think that there's something there where, where you almost want to get to the point where there's respect or there, there's like, it's like that makes sense moment. You're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And, and, th and then there's no, 
rude comments that say, oh, this isn't the traditional way or this isn't because it's like, oh, well, this actually does level it up a little mm. bit or, or makes it more um, pure is the wrong word. But it's 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 um, it's like you get more to the essence of it or you can you can authentic elevate it a little bit. Yeah, maybe it may be authentic. Um, yeah, mm. it's dif- it's difficult uh, to, to parse that. You you have a quote that reads, quote, plenty of people are terrified when it comes to food. They just want to make it right, but they think everything's going to be wrong. I hope after seeing my videos, they'll think, look at his mozzarella, because there's an imperfect process. So, end quote. Why, why do you think that food scares people? Mm. That's a very good question, I think, because it terrifies people. Cooking is just something. I mean, you're a chef. I don't even know if you realize that. People are terrified from cooking. They just feel like they're going to do something wrong. They're going to waste money. They're going to waste ingredients. They're going to be failures and they're, they're going to have a hard time coping with what they put on the table. They're going to be judged. Mm. What is your question exactly? Is it like, why do I think that people are scared? Well, yes. But I, the, the next question I was going to follow up with was, was how do you define confidence in the kitchen? Because I think that's the opposite of, of, of fear, potentially, in this context, is mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's you're confident. And I think the way that I was going to help us get there if we were having trouble was, was you're so good and comfortable with finding the imperfections in your execution. And you're, mm-hmm. you're so used to asking for feedback. What's wrong with mine? Because I want to get better at this. And I think that, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'll try to to remember all all the different parts in this question. But I'd say that, first of all, I think, so just to take it, people are scared of cooking for, it's a fear of failure, obviously. Wasting money, wasting time. We don't have time, we don't have money, more or less. So wasting these precious resources is scary, for a good reason, I would say. Uh, Second, you say it was about confidence. It was about cooking confidence. Yeah, so how do you how do you define confidence in the kitchen? Because it's not it's cooking an eight course meal. Yes. Sometimes it's making a one pot dinner. I, I think it, it's not exactly that I'm super confident in the kitchen. It's more that I'm I have acceptance of failure. I don't see failure as failure. Well, or I can see it as failure. I don't care so much about this. I, I, there's, there's, there, I, I, I just see it as a possible outcome of my work. It's just like, all right, so I can't go this way apparently because there's a block. doesn't work. That's just, I got no opinion on it. I got no emotions about this. It's, it's just like, you know, that, that there, there's a book by, by a guy called Ryan Holiday. And the book is called The Obstacle is the Way. It's just like, I mean, the obstacle just show you where not to go. Right. That's amazing. I, I had 10 routes to begin with. Now I've got nine. Easier. So maybe that's, there's that. But I guess also repetition makes me more at ease with uh, cooking in general. The fact that, yes, I, I've, I've learned how to cook this and that ingredient. And I've been failing at this one and this one. But also I've had a few successes. So maybe... It's balancing out the fear, the fact that I've also got some successes. So I'd say, yes, experience and acceptance of failure. It's just part of the process. So, well, 
do, do you do you think that there's obviously cooking for other people helps picking dishes that have benchmarks like traditional quote-unquote benchmarks of like you're saying cacio e pepe has to have a certain texture to it and a certain um aroma to it do you have any advice for people who are maybe a little bit comfortable in the kitchen but they're so scared to ask for feedback has there been anything mm. that's helped you in in asking for that feedback it's, it's some, some, sometimes it's hard for me to to put myself in these shoes because I've been exposing myself repeatedly to the judgment of, of, of not the worst, but the best chef out there. I brought my sauce to a three Michelin star chef. So I'm an amateur cook. I cook, I've been cooking for like 10 years, maybe a bit more than this, but just for friends and families. So just bringing that sauce to these guys, I know I'm going to get destroyed. I'm going to get it, you know, obliterated. I like it. I don't care. It's just, a, it's amazing for me. Can you imagine just being judged by this guy? I would pay money to be judged by this guy. And he's doing it for free just because I've got an interesting story to tell or because the collaboration is fun. I've always seen judgment as a, I mean, it depends on the judgment, obviously, but I wouldn't go and look for, you know, someone who would just purposefully be mean. That That's, that's, that's not even so, somebody I would collaborate with. But most of the time, I mean, most of the people I've met in kitchens, they were pretty nice, pretty open-minded. Food, you may have a different opinion on this. I don't know, because I haven't been working, you know, in kitchens. But from what I've seen, food tends to attract friendly people, more or less, more or less. Probably a few exceptions along the way, but more or less friendly people. So usually when I'm asking to be judged brutally, because this is YouTube, this is fun, this is entertainment. People are nice with me. They, you know, soften the edges. And, and I really have to push them, even off camera, to say, no, just go for it. If there's something wrong, I want to hear about it. And from a personal point of view, I mean, from, from, from a cook's point of view, I want to know what's wrong. If you don't tell me what's wrong, how am I going to self-improve? How am I going to improve my work? I, I don't settle for, you know, I, I don't want to stagnate. Those are the worst people to cook for, the the friends who say everything is amazing. And, and and not just that they're constantly complimentary, but they don't actually know how to put into words how to say the sauce was really good, but I thought it needed a little bit more acid. Or mm -hmm. I thought that you probably could have gotten a little bit more color on your chicken before it went into the braising liquid. Mm -hmm. That's so important. So it's almost like you need both. You need to find the people who are kind and willing to give you that feedback but then also the people who have at least a little bit of a sense of what makes food good or, or you know maybe maybe mm -hmm. maybe not maybe there there is a little bit of wisdom in the in the naive almost mm -hmm. i like I, I like i like the idea of just you know handpicking the friends you ask for guidance you know because uh, for example i I, co I consider the videos that i make you know super short movies at least I follow filming rules when I when I make my videos. I want a beginning, a middle, and an end. I want a reason to watch it beneath uh, or beyond the recipe. When I've got a sort of a short movie that is almost done, I wouldn't seek for advice with anyone. I mean, uh, it's not coming out the way I wanted it. I wouldn't go to anybody. I wouldn't... <laughs> 
I wouldn't go to anyone to be to get tips on how to improve my work. I would go to my producer with whom I've been working for years. She's, you know, very talented. She's pretty brutal, but I respect her, you know, your, her vision. Sometimes I will not agree and I will not modify my work, but I value her, you know, advices, her vision, her angle on, on, on the subject. I would go to certain persons, but I wouldn't expose my work to everybody. I mean, um, I don't care. I don't care. That's, that's where I think as a content creator, you have to have a voice. It can be bad. It cannot be, not be what they would have done. And that's why you are doing it. They want to do it. Maybe they, they're, they're going to do it with a different voice. And that's going to be amazing. But I guess not exposing your work to... I don't even ask for feedback when somebody sees it. I just, if I don't want to, I'm not going to ask for feedback. It's, I, I don't know if, if this is coming out the right way, but it's just about picking the right person to whom you want to open to. Because we're talking about things where you expose yourself. Would it be content creation? Would it be a dish? When, when a chef try and puts you know, care and efforts and work and research and memories and sometimes even emotions into a dish and the dish gets slammed by a random guy. Who, I don't know if you, if the chef should be doing that in the first place. Maybe the best would be just to explain or to, or to, to pick the right person for that. I don't know. I, I don't know who to correctly attribute this quote to, so I'm, I'm not going to try. It, it feels like it's like a Brene Brown something, something, but, but I, I'm pretty sure she has a list of five people that she listens to their feedback. And you're telling me basically the same thing. You have your producer and maybe your editor and maybe a couple other people in your life where exactly. if they give you feedback on something, you will not change the entire video to accommodate their vision, but you will take that and put some salt on it and you will actually take that and say, okay, this is maybe interesting. Everybody else, aside from those five people, like you said, I don't care. It's like, I, I don't want to be mean to them. I just, I can't follow. The worst piece of content that I could put out would be a piece of content where I would have followed every opinion. It would just be the worst movie ever. And I've done these movies way too many times. So I was asking about how you could, if if there's a time recently where you thought that you potentially listened to a little bit too much audience feedback instead of following what you thought was right. Uh, not recently, like mm. in the early days, in the early days. Yeah, very much. And, you know, I, I started my channel, you know, uh, where the very first piece of content was in English. Well, I'm just French by nature. It's easier for me to speak French. And I, I did that because I thought, I want to make my videos available to a broader audience, especially if I end up in a niche, then, you know, picking a little of, of, of just picking a small, a small amount of, of an audience in every little country out there could potentially make for a bigger audience. And if I do this in French, well, I mean, the end population is just 60 million. That's pretty rough, especially if then I narrow it by doing 
engineered slash cook slash I'm going to have nobody on my channel. Nobody's going to watch my videos. So I didn't have the end goal, the end plan, you know, the end game when I started it. But I guess I was more subject to wins and opinions and feedback. And I was just following advices way too much. But it take, I guess it, it takes time for any creator in any field, I guess, to just build up like a shield, almost like a sort of a shield, which is not impenetrable. Still to this day, I can, people can get to me with feedback. They can. But I guess my skin is a little tougher, maybe. Talking a little bit about your background, and this is way way late in the in the interview to be talking about your background, but it, it's in electrical engineering and marketing. And and then when you entered food and YouTube, you did a really good job of using those skills from your previous life to make yourself a better creator and to add a little bit of your personality using mm-hmm. illustrations on the on the blue board or crunching the numbers on your onion dicing speed. I get a lot of questions from people who are changing industries, trying to enter restaurants, trying to start in food or food writing, and they get really self-conscious or almost apologetic about their previous careers. Do you mm-hmm. have any advice for, for, for them, the people who have had previous lives, but they want to be in food now and they're like, oh, I can't use that. I need to, I'm starting over. I don't think that, I don't think that's true. And you've done a really good job mm-hmm. of that. Mm, I can definitely relate to that. I was being very apologetic with, with my, my previous work. I, for years, I thought I I had to you to do proper culinary training. I thought there's no way I'm gonna be legitimate on YouTube or as a chef, as a cookbook author, if I don't do first culinary school. I did not, because they did not accept me for whatever reason. But um, uh, I'm not glad I didn't, but I'm okay with it, because I feel in the end that's not even what I'm pushing. You know, uh, I'm pushing to the audience now. I'm just being me. And if people just can't see how their background positions could help or the fields that they've been working with, uh, working in in the past could help their current job, especially in the kitchen, this is going to be their greatest value. This is going to be why they are who they are. People are going to go to them for that. Because I guess I, I don't, I'm not going to speak for you know uh, line cooks or chefs because this is not my industry. But I can speak for YouTubers. I can speak for content creators. Everybody, I mean, making a good video. This is the base. This is the prerequisite. Making good video. Every cr- content creator, which um, I mean, who you will be competing with, will make a good video. So how are you going to stand out in all this? Well, a good way to stand out in my eyes and, and a way to boot that is avoiding some competition is just to be, try and be you because that's hard to copy. That's one hard thing to copy. So the fact that I've been, you know, um, so I, I'm, I'm an engineer in the first place. Okay, so I'm French. I've got a terrible accent. Uh, but I've been traveling quite a lot. I'm really open-minded to other people's culture. I'm obsessed and obsessive when it comes to understanding things. I blend all these all these things, the bad and the goods, and they create sort of a tree that represents the personality that I've got. And this, I think that's 
what people are looking for on my channel at some point. Because I, I, I'm definitely less good than this one when it comes to filming, 100%. Definitely less cleaned when it comes to storytelling than this one, 100%. But can you find someone that has all the little markers that I do? Well, so you will find it on my channel, I guess. So these differences, that's gold. Everybody should do this exercise when you're done listening to this interview. Honestly, like make the list of the things that make you, you. And then at that point, it's like you have, you have a pretty big base to run with. I think so. And this is, if, and, and, and I mean, if people don't click with that, then so be it. Internet is a vast place. They can go somewhere else. I just see it as, better. well, I just see it as if you, if you don't have that list yet, maybe you're 19 years old and you only know what it's like to live in Toronto. You just don't have enough seat. Like there's not enough seasoning in your life. You need to go live in LA for a little while. You need to go travel to, to Cambodia. You need to go to Singapore and have street food. And, and then you will start to, you know what I mean? Like that there, there mm. there's that you will get more. And, and 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 the beauty of that is, and I think what you're you're a great example of is like, there's never it, it it's never going to be bad. Like you're either going to it's either going to develop into making you who you are, or it's going to be something where you quickly decide, no, this is not for me, and I'm going to do something else because I don't like this. Mm-hmm. I often talk to young chefs, and and I share with them because I make so much gear content. I share with them that the gear doesn't matter at the end of the day because the sharpest knife in the world isn't going to make you a chef that's nice to work with. If you're if you're a dickhead, mm, it's 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 hard, true. you know what I mean? The gear <laughs> the gear's not going to help help that. But 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 I think that what you and I both share in common is that we both really love gear. <laughs> like to the we core, do. especially I in the do. kitchen. And 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 yes. and it makes it even more special when you get to create custom gear for yourself that fixes these really niche problems that you have. Were, were you always like that as a kid or or did this fascination with gear yes. develop later in your life? Uh, my dream job was to be an inventor as a kid. So I've always been, you know, tinkering. I've always been making things, creating things. I've been, you know, making uh, objects and designing things that don't work so well <laughs> for for ages. I've been cooking for a while as well. I've, I mean, in, in the past, it was more experimenting. Still is to this day. But yeah, I, I mean, gear is a vast subject as well. I like it very much. I... Uh, I tend to agree and disagree to some extent with what you said. I think gear doesn't matter as long as you have the bare minimum. Let's say for knives, having like a $300 or a $1,000 knife, maybe that's not the best move, especially if you're starting. But you know what? If it gives you confidence, if it, if it just brings you to the kitchen, well, and if you can afford it, well, why would you refrain from it? I just saw uh, Vincent from Corin like two days ago, and and yes. he, he he gave me some knives. So he says hi, by the way. Um, oh, cool! He's a he's yeah. a great dude. Yeah, yeah, he's the best. Um, I, I had to pick up some knives while I was there, cause, cause why? How can you not? Um, <laughs> this I, place is just like the worst place ever. To uh, go. Such a because you know you're gonna get sa- your your wallet is gonna get savaged. That's totally destroyed. And there's so many <laughs> options and just like unique, like, oh man, it's so, so, so good. I love corn. Yeah. I call this the, I have one more question for you and then we'll do some rapid fire ones before we finish. I, I, I call this the graduation moment question. So you can pick either with cooking or with making videos. 
did you ever have a moment where you accomplished something and you felt, I am really good at this. I've graduated. It's a tough question, man. I'm not going to lie. This is a tough one. Because <laughs> I've always felt bad about people who cannot evaluate themselves. I dislike false modesty, false modesty, for example. I feel like if you're good at something, you should know it. If you don't know it, you don't know yourself. You should work on it. At some time in, in your life, and, and, and if you're bad at something, you should know it as well. I feel, for example, uh, that at the end of the Sources series that I published on my channel, I thought I can write a series. I think I'm pretty confident that I can write a subject that can be both entertaining and educating for a certain audience. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't phrase it as I'm very good, but I know how to do it. And I think I can now count on, count on myself when it comes to making new ones. I shouldn't be doubting too much about my abilities in making new series, for example. And there's, there's a good reason behind this. Doubting is always part of the creation process. But it's also tough to always be doubting yourself. And I like to think that, no, this is something I've validated. Creating content, um, creating that specific content is something I'm validating. Or I'd say that I'm pretty confident in my ability to adapt. I can learn most things. Not anything, but most things. And I'm not scared of being judged, which helped me a lot in the learning process. So I would say learning and some you know, content creation skills, these are possibly the closest I've gotten to got them. Let's do some rapid fire questions because you, I have, a, I have a normal question that I ask guests, which is how do you make your eggs in the morning for yourself? Maybe it's a Saturday morning or, or it's, it's the weekend and you're kind of taking it slow in the morning. Obviously you have your omelet specialty that you have. Do you, do you still make that? Do you have another preference for how you make your uh, eggs? I would, yeah, I would never make an omelet for breakfast. <laughs> I, I just, I, I just do sunny side up eggs Perfect. for breakfast, but, but I love to add just a touch more oil. And if possible, flavored oil to the pan. That's my little, because it looks simple. That's always my favorite dish. It looks simple, but in fact, there's a little something. Adding a little more oil uh, when you're making sunny side up eggs, just ensure that the corners and the bottom are really crispy. And that's something I'm looking for. Even having the yolk a bit more cooked than usual. That's I like when it's jelly in the center and you can still pick it with the, with the tip of a knife almost. But the very top is runny, but underneath you've got that gel, which is pretty nice. And underneath the egg, that's the golden part. It's really like, not not dark brown, but golden brown. Flavored oil, meaning my, chili oil, herb oil, what's your preference? Ch chili oil would be too much, but sc mm. scallion oil, maybe. I see, I see. Because this is gonna induce, or garlic oil, maybe. Garlic oil might be a little tough. It depends on the night I had before. Right. Is there anything that you've changed your mind on in recent memory? Mm. Fresh pasta is superior to uh, dry pasta. In all forms, so, like like noodles part. and stuffed, and yeah. It, I mean, I changed my mind. Uh -huh. I, th I thought I thought it was. Yeah. Far from it. They are just different things. Yeah. Different worlds. That makes and sense. Different products. I, this, is, this might be a little too specific, but that's something no, no, I changed it's, my it's, mind on. Yeah, yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Is, you already mentioned 
Obstacles the Way, Ryan Holiday's fantastic. I, I always recommend that chefs should read The Ego is the Enemy book because it, it does affect our whole industry. But it is there a book that's been particularly impactful for your career? Uh, but for my life in general, I would say. Yes, yes. I mean, The Power of Now. The Power of Now is the book I've been reading over and over. I'm, I'm probably close to 100 times. When did, and, when and did now, you first find it? Not so far ago. No, I mean, not so long ago. I would say probably two two years ago or something. But it's just I'm a point in my life where uh, I'm looking for more balance. I'm looking for more understanding, for more sustainability, for the grinding years are more or less over. I'm, I still want to do good work. I want to do great work, but I, want, I don't want to savage everything for it. I want, I want to do it right. And I want, to, I, I, want, I want to make sure that I can do it for as long as possible. And I feel like the first time I read this book, I was like, well, eh, that's unreadable. Second time I was like, eh, makes some sense. And now I can just, I, I just read paragraphs. I, I open any page. I read a paragraph. I take notes. I take loads of notes when I work. And then I just close the book. But that, that, that's my book. We as content creators are often incentivized to have a focus. And I think that what's interesting about us as humans is that we're all multifaceted. Is there something that doesn't end up on YouTube or your Instagram, as in you don't share it with the world, but you get really excited about it? And if you had to teach somebody about something, you would actually... Like, you know, for me, there's there's a lot of video game stuff that I really geek out about, but I don't share it because, you know, I'm, I'm not a video game channel. Man, so, so, so many fields I geek, I geek on. <laughs> I geek on everything. Cameras. Cameras, I, yeah. I could, I, could, I could start literally a YouTube channel about video gear. I've, I've got, I, I've been geeking out on so many setups. I make my own setup. I right. 3D, print, 3D print my setups. If, if we ever meet, you'll see that my camera is a full custom thing that I made with a 3D printer. So the, the handle goes this way and the mic has been deported on one side because of this and that reason and everything is powered with only one super standard battery because otherwise I'm not able to shoot. I mean, I could be shooting, but it's just like, it's my thing. Be geeking out on camera gear. I love it. This is a fun question. You, you, you somehow get a call right after this interview that you've just won an all-expenses-paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant, and when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to talk to waiting to have dinner with you. What is the restaurant, and who is that person? I would say I, I've always been willing... This is something that I can do, but I've always been in to, uh, always willing to go to Fergus Anderson in, Lo in, in London. Yes, yes. I don't know the name of his restaurant, the main mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. And... And there, I would love to have dinner with uh, Hugh Fairlane Whittingstall. Are you familiar with this guy? No, no. A uh, British cook, Hugh Fairlane Whittingstall. Uh -huh. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the word right, but I'm doing my best. He's like a British chef, TV chef, who was pretty famous at the time where Gordon and Jamie Oliver were famous as well on, on Channel 4 in the UK. And the guy was a cook, a chef in London, and he left it all. He went to the countryside, started the River Cottage. That's the name of the series started, River Cottage. And then there's a 12-year series on how he built something. And it's just like 
this guy is just inspiring. He invented vlogging before he was like even on the map. And I'm just like, and also he has a very broad vision, very broad understanding of the food world. He went from, you know, I don't know, cooking chicken by the dozen and not even thinking about where they come from to really thinking about where they came from. And then I think he's vegan now. I think he's wow. vegetarian now. So I'm thinking I would love to pick his brain and just, and he's a brilliant content creator because he shares way more than just perfect storyline. He shares emotions and sponta- spontaneity, spontaneousness. It's just like this guy. So Fergus Anderson's uh, restaurant, dining with a Hugh Fairley Whittingstall. Last question for you. Unless there's something that you wanted, I know you're tight on time. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk talk through or, or, or bring up or ask my audience or, or any anything like that? Mm. I would love to do an internship in a restaurant someday and to work as a line cook. Maybe uh, maybe it would be good to get advices from, you know, line cooks on how to behave, what to do, what not to do. Like I've got this dream of mine, which I, I'm pretty confident that I will, you know, reach someday. But I want to work in a ramen yard in, in Japan. Yes. I want to make ramen for like a month or something. I want I want... I want to I want to clean the floor. I want to you know wash wash whatever there is to wash and just you know walk my way in an entertaining way more or less throughout the 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 ladder basically of a, of a of a ramen joint in Japan. So maybe line cooks I'm sure line cooks would have many amazing tips for me like don't do this you're going to piss you're going to piss out the chef. Like do this people are going to be thankful for do you have, have any whole, advice for it? Well, I have a whole course that I'm launching for for chefs, and oh, I'm, wow. I want it to be something that is not a replacement for culinary school, but it's you are a line cook, and you're interested in kind of like I call it total station domination. You're trying to get like the <laughs> perfect station setup where you can That's take 250 people and they can come to the restaurant, and you feel wow. ready. You're like so ready for the assault of of dishes that you're trying yeah. to make, and um. Yeah, so it's launching next month, and I'm really, really excited. I would love to have you obviously be a part of it. And yeah, I think I think a a lot of your uh, people listening, fans of yours, like would love to have you as a coworker on the line. I think that I'm I'm not. I can speak for a lot of people. It depends if I'm messing up with the cling film. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Who did that to the cling film roll? (laughs) Well, I did. Sorry, messed that up. And and now the guy are you know handpicking it, you know string by string and pesting about it. Would you film if you were to do something like that? Would you obviously film it or would you do it as like, no, this is like I'm going into the education and I'm going to emerge from this as a as a better cook myself? No, I would film it. Yeah, I would yeah, film yeah. it. I'm, I'm, I'm in a position where if I don't film this, that's just that's just a waste for the channel. That's right. That's right. OK, well, you know, you're going to get a lot of DMs after this, I hope, from excited, <laughs> excited line cooks who want who want you at their restaurant because that's um, OK. That. The, you know, maybe this is in line with that, but my last question for, for all of my guests is what do you think chefs can be doing better to help the next generation? I think they are, do- they are doing a lot better than they used to. I agree. I, I can only speak from the customer point of view because I'm not with them in the kitchen. From what I've seen behind, you know, uh, the pass, I would say that they should be, they should be friendlier, more or less. Just chill out. So job, just because you're a chef doesn't mean you're actually a real chef. You're not a capo, okay? Just like, this is not like mob, just just people. 
you're going to get smacked by this line cook, I think, if you push it too far at some point. But anyway, that's that's their problem. From the customer point of view, I would say that I just it's going this way. But if chef were to be a little more open when it comes to sharing what's in the dish, why they did it, what uh, you know breed, what animal breed they use for for that specific dish, and why it matters, I would be very keen to learn that. Every time I'm asking, it's it's also related to the country I'm living in. In France. Not always, but in random restaurants. If you ask any detail, people are just being offensive. I don't know why. Maybe because they're using bad ingredients, probably. Because otherwise, I don't know why they they would be ashamed or just offended. But I I just wish they were just more like a little little more open-minded. And same goes for artisans. Whenever I go to a butcher and the guy cannot or doesn't want or, or is just shy to tell me which breed he's working with, I'm just like, all right. I'm out. I'm out. I'm literally out. There's no way I'm going to buy anything because I'm just genuinely interested. And if you if you can't respond to me, then no, I'm not in. I don't want to waste their time. It's right. it's another story. But I, I just I just feel like as a consumer, I deserve the right to know what I'm eating, what I'm, what I'm being served and all. And they should be proud of it. Anyways. In good restaurants, they always do. They're, they're right. very proud and they're talkative. Well, because you end up not just having to, to teach new chefs in the kitchen, but like the front of house team needs to know where everything comes from and, and, and you know, being able to talk about it. I, 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 I say this way too much, but like chefs being able to talk about food is, is so underrated. And, and um, I will always advocate for chefs writing more and having conversations with their coworkers about the dish and um, what makes what makes something good. Like if you can articulate that, that's that's really, really important for chefs to know how to do. So mm. super man. Well safe travels tomorrow. I think we're all excited to see what you create in Italy. And again, it's like such an honor to be able to talk with you and, and to ask you all of these questions. So thanks again for your well, time. Thank you, man. It's been it's been a real pleasure to, to talk to you. And thanks for these questions and the time as well. I hope to see you in Paris someday soon. I hope so as well, man. Have Bye. a good one. Bye-bye. What's up? Justin here again, because, I mean, if you're still listening, you didn't not like this episode, right? And if that's the case, I'd like to think that you'd get value from the other work that I share here online. It's all focused on helping chefs and hospitality professionals perform better. If you don't have a lot of time, the best place to start is with the email newsletter that I write every single week called the 80-20 Edge. That's where I share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. And I say it saves time because I include all of the content that I published that week all in one place as kind of a weekly digest of sorts. Next up, you should check out my YouTube channel for gear reviews, clips from podcasts just like this one, and documented experiences from some of the best restaurants in the world. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about my intense cohort-based professional development focused course, get coaching from me to help you make your next move, or just support the show, you can check out justinconnor.com support. And if you do support this show already, that's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Finally, it really does help to share a review of this show on Apple Podcasts to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. And until the next episode, my name is Justin Kana, and I hope you have a good one.